Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. I'm back with another true crime story to lull you to sleep or perhaps to give you nightmares. In December of 1998, 14-year-old Michael Polite was enjoying a sleepover at his home with one of his best friends. He was awoken in the middle of the night to a haze in his room and the smell of smoke. He woke his friend up so that they could go investigate what was happening in the house. As they walked from his bedroom towards his mother's room, they saw a glow emanating from underneath her door. When they opened it, they were horrified to find 40-year-old Rita, Michael's mother, on fire from the waist up. Someone had beaten Rita and then set her body on fire to hide the evidence, and it was sadly her 14-year-old son who would find her. However, the police investigating Rita's death would see it all differently. They didn't buy the teen's story. They thought he lacked emotion and possibly had something to hide. And a jury would agree, sending Michael Polite to prison for life for murder when he was just a teenage boy. While he has maintained his innocence the entire time, it would take a special team of attorneys to help him to fight back against the system that seemed to throw him under the bus when he was too young to understand what was really happening. This is the story of Michael Polite, a 14-year-old boy whose mother was violently murdered and whose death would land him in prison for a large portion of his life. But did he really do it? Let's jump right in. Michael Bernard Polite, who went by the name Bernie, a reference to his middle name, was the youngest child and only son of Rita and Edward Polite. He had two older sisters, Crystal and Melanie, who despite the age difference, he grew up really close with. Their parents, Rita and Edward, married as young teenagers and started their family together very quickly. However, it was a tumultuous relationship. It was a well-known fact in the home that Edward often cheated on Rita, which would cause them to fight relentlessly. Not enough for Rita to actually leave Edward throughout all of those years of mental abuse, unfortunately. It's said that she loved her husband fiercely, despite the multiple allegations of domestic abuse by both parties. 
She stayed for many years, but eventually she did grow tired of it all, and she filed for divorce in 1998, citing Edward's infidelity as the reason. It was a very messy situation and a battle in the divorce court. Rita would win several financial benefits, including monthly alimony and child support, as well as part of her ex-husband's pension and a 401k. This infuriated Edward and only added to the toxicity and tension between them. Michael would wind up living in the trailer with his mother in a small town called Hopewell, Missouri. No one in Hopewell even thought to lock their doors. It was the kind of town where kids ran the roads with their friends all day and all night until the streetlights came on. Growing up, Michael was described as a mostly happy kid who adored his mother. However, he did have issues, likely as a result of growing up in a broken home witnessing a ton of violence. Michael also really struggled in school. He just lost interest, and he would skip classes, ultimately failing 7th grade three times. Still, he had a lot of friends, he enjoyed riding his bike and playing sports, with his mother Rita attending all of his games and even bringing the camcorder with her to record every moment. At the same time, Michael had a short temper. He was also known to argue with his mother relentlessly. His older sisters would later say in an interview that he could be an angry teenager, but the majority of that was directed towards their father, who would always put him in the middle of their fights. Things would really blow up when, during one of these fights with his mother, he threatened to kill her and then to kill himself. Today, he says back then, he was just emotional and really angry with his mother, but he didn't mean it. At the same time, Rita took the threat very seriously, and she even had him hospitalized for behavioral issues. When he got out, the situation at home seemed to improve. The relationship between Rita and her son got a whole lot better, and they became close once again. Now the date was December 4th, 1998. Rita decided to head out to the bar with some of her friends for the evening. She had cause to celebrate. Just four days prior, her divorce from Edward was finalized. She no longer had to deal with his abuse, and she believed that things were really going to be okay. She wasn't going to have to worry about finances because her request for child support and alimony had been approved. Edward was still incredibly angry over the judgment, but it was time for Rita to move on with her life. Michael was now 14 years old, old enough to stay home by himself for the evening. He spent a few hours alone at the house before deciding to jump on his bike and head down to the local store, where he met up with his friend Josh Sansusi. He invited Josh over for a sleepover. They hung out back at the house for a few hours until Rita returned home from the bar. Michael would remember seeing her headlights pull into the driveway at around 11 p.m. that night. Rita had brought back sandwiches for Michael and Josh to enjoy, so while they were devouring that, she decided to check her answering machine for voicemails, and then she was off to bed. She said, I love you, good night, and I'll see you in the morning to Michael before heading to her room. 
the two teenage boys decided to stay up a little bit longer and do what many teenage boys do. They went to Michael's room, they turned the music up loud, and then they smoked some weed. Then they passed out for the night with Josh sleeping on the bedroom floor while Michael slept in his bed. In the early morning hours of the following morning, Michael and Josh woke up to a smoky haze in the room. At first, Michael thought that Josh might have been smoking, so he asked him, but he wasn't. It was just after 6 a.m., and the room was filled with a light haze, so the boys went to investigate. When they opened the bedroom door to the hallway, they were immediately hit with a wall of smoke. Now they could hear the smoke detector going off in the dining room over the sound of their loud stereo. Something was on fire, and it appeared to be coming from Rita's bedroom. Her door was closed, but there was an orange glow coming from underneath of it. Michael called out to Rita, but there was no response, so he ran outside to get a water hose, and he tried to pull it into the home as far as it would reach. He gets back to Rita's room, he opens the door, and he finds her lying on the floor. She is on fire from the waist up, and there's blood on her legs. He's able to start the hose to get the fire put out while Josh runs to get help. Unfortunately, it is far too late. Rita was dead. She had been killed by blunt force trauma to the head with an unknown weapon, and then her body had been set on fire to hide any evidence. Michael would talk about how finding his mother like this would haunt him. He said, quote, I mean, I can still hear it. I can hear the fire crackling. There's times I wake up in the morning that I can smell it. It's with me forever. Now, when the police arrived on the scene and began questioning Michael Polite and his friend Josh about what had happened, they told the police that they had no idea. They stayed home the entire evening. They were sleeping and they didn't hear anything. It may have been because they had their door shut with loud music on the entire night and they had just smoked weed just prior to going to sleep but they didn't know what was going on until they noticed the smoke in the room. Rita had been violently attacked with some sort of weapon, suffering the vast majority of the injuries to her head. The weapon that was used would not be found anywhere in the home. However, there was blood all over the walls of her bedroom, which indicated that there had been some kind of struggle with the killer. It was also determined that an accelerant was used to set her on fire. Michael called his two older sisters, Crystal and Melanie, to let them know what had happened. Someone had broken in and killed their mother. The sisters got to the home as quickly as they could, and when they arrived, they found Michael sitting in the front seat of the police car, covered in soot, with streams of tear marks running down his face. To them... Michael looked distraught, traumatized. To the police, though, Michael was not acting like someone should after discovering their mother's body. They would note that he didn't seem emotional enough for what had happened. And then, while in the cruiser on the way to the police station to give a statement, Michael said something that would alter the entire direction of the investigation. According to the officer who was driving, Michael asked him what was going to happen to his mother's truck. 
The officer believed this to be a completely inappropriate question, one that only a cold, calculated killer might ask. Combined with the fact that Michael was the only relative home at the time of the murder, investigators were looking directly at Rita's 14-year-old son as the number one suspect in her death. Back at the station, police decided to give both Michael and Josh a voice stress test, which is very controversial in and of itself. This kind of pseudoscience test measures patterns in a voice to determine if stress is found in the voice. Its accuracy is debatable, and it's most certainly not to be used to form the very basis of a case. It's more supplemental information. It's no surprise that both Michael and Josh failed this test. They were in an incredibly stressful situation, having just witnessed Rita's dead body on fire and now being questioned in an interrogation room by police. But it is surprising that this detail was used to create an entire murder case with very little to no evidence against 14-year-old Michael Polite. I love to travel. From the bustling city of Tokyo to the beaches of Thailand, there's nothing I enjoy more than getting the chance to see the world and experience different cultures firsthand. But the language barrier, it can be an issue. Sure, you can use an app on your phone, but things often get lost in translation. I truly believe that learning at least some of the language of the land that you're visiting is the first step to ensuring a smooth and meaningful experience. That's why I'm excited about Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language that you want to learn. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Japanese, Spanish, German, Korean, Italian, and more. Learning a new language can be tough especially with all of the different nuances. But Rosetta Stone is designed to help you speak like a local, so you'll feel confident in what you're saying. I don't know how many times I've been traveling to a new country and struggled to get my point across just because I wasn't properly pronouncing something that I thought I knew, which is why I love Rosetta Stone's built-in true accent feature, which helps you master your accent. They also have convenient desktop and app options so you can learn on the go. Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership includes all 25 languages. So once you're finished learning one language, you can start on another. Whether you're an avid traveler like me or just want to impress your friends with a new skill, it's a steal of a deal at 50% off. That's right. 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Investigators took the clothing that Michael was wearing, which had no blood on them. They also took his shoes to be tested for an accelerant. 
They used a dog that was trained to alert in the presence of an accelerant, and in fact, the dog did alert. When the officers interviewing Michael asked him why he would fail the accelerant test, he actually had an answer for that. After he had met up with Josh at the convenience store, the pair decided to have a bit of fun, and they set an area of a nearby railroad tracks on fire using gasoline, so it would be no surprise if he actually did have gas on his shoes. Josh confirmed Michael's story, and investigators did find an area of railway track near the home that had been set on fire around the same time that Michael said he did it. Still, investigators weren't buying it. They were very much aware of the discourse between Michael and his mother Rita and how they had fought in the past, how he had even been hospitalized after threatening to kill her. They believed that Josh was an innocent bystander, invited over to the home for a sleepover that evening as an alibi. However, they also believed that at some point during the night, Michael must have gotten up out of bed and snuck past Josh and killed Rita before climbing back into bed. They interviewed both Josh and Michael, these two teen boys, for hours on end. Michael never wavered in his story. However, two days after the murder, Josh would give a video-recorded statement in the presence of two police officers and his parents. Josh would say that he was sleeping on the bedroom floor and he woke up to a noise in the middle of the night. When he looked over, Michael wasn't in his bed. This was contradictory to all of the previous statements that Josh had given investigators, where he stated that the two boys were in the room together all night, and that from where he was laying, he could see Michael in his bed all evening. In exchange for this video statement, Josh was given full immunity from all charges related to Rita's murder. But 14-year-old Michael Polite was arrested for the murder of his mother, 40-year-old Rita Polite. Josh's videotaped statement was really the key to charging Michael. He would spend three years in custody, waiting to have his day in court. Three years sounds like a really long time to detain someone who is innocent until proven guilty while they're just waiting for their trial to start, especially for a young boy. Then, a glimmer of hope. A plea deal from the prosecution. He would be required to plead guilty to voluntary manslaughter in exchange for a maximum of 15 years in prison. This meant that he would avoid a life sentence altogether if he were found guilty. Michael rejected the plea deal, and he has said even today that he does not regret it. He said, quote, I'll die in here. I didn't murder my mother, and she's going to get her justice. So, in January of 2002, at the age of 17 years old, Michael Polite was assigned a public defender, and he went on trial for the murder of his mother. It should be noted here that this was the public defender's very first homicide case where he was working on it by himself. He had very little experience. At trial, the prosecution presented Michael's shoes, the ones that had been tested and confirmed to have gasoline on them. Remember, Michael said there was an explanation that he and Josh had actually set a fire on the railway tracks using gas just hours before his mother was murdered. 
this should have explained it. However, the prosecution used this little bit of information to further bolster their evidence, saying that the burn pattern found on the railway was the same as the burn pattern found on Rita's body. One witness took the stand to testify about an argument between Michael and his mother Rita that he had witnessed in the weeks before her murder. They stated that during the argument about finances, Michael sat there flicking his lighter on and off angrily, and they felt like it was threatening. One of the biggest bombshells during the trial came when the prosecution alleged that Michael himself had confessed to the murder. After the arrest, Michael was put into a detention center while he was awaiting his trial. About a month into his time there, he attempted to take his own life. During the incident, three witnesses who worked at the facility would write in their report that Michael had yelled out, I haven't cared since I killed my mom. Michael has refuted these statements, saying instead that what he was actually saying was, I haven't cared since they killed my mom, not I haven't cared since I killed my mom. It's the difference of just one word. But unfortunately, Michael would never even take the stand in his trial. Despite desperately wanting to speak for himself, his attorney basically told him that he didn't have time to prepare him to take the stand, so it wasn't going to happen. This attorney also never called Josh to the stand, the person who was with Michael the entire night of the murders. Really, it's the one person who could exonerate him, despite that recorded statement where he said that there was a time he didn't see Michael in bed. It would have been really helpful to actually get to question him on the stand, under oath, not in the presence of two detectives attempting to get a very specific piece of information out of a teen. In total, Michael's attorney spent less than half a day presenting his defense. He gave no other names of alternate suspects, despite the fact that there were several other people who had motive and opportunity to kill Rita. One of them being Rita's ex-husband and Michael's father, Edward. Their nasty divorce had just been finalized four days prior to her murder. Allegedly, after she was awarded alimony and child support, Edward was witness telling her that she would never see a penny of it. Actually, investigators had briefly looked at Edward Polite as a suspect in Rita's murder. But Edward had an alibi for the night of the killing. He was at his home 80 miles away from the crime scene, and he had actually answered his phone around the same time of the killings. That was enough for investigators to completely rule him out. They didn't even look into the idea of whether or not he may have had a partner carry out the actual murder. And Edward did have a cousin who lived just a few miles from Rita's home, a cousin named Johnny. Another witness reported seeing Johnny near the house on the morning of the murders, wearing a wet t-shirt. Another witness said that they saw a truck, Johnny's truck, near the railway tracks around the same time that the police and the ambulance arrived at the scene. Investigators never really looked into Johnny because they fully believed that Michael was their guy. Unfortunately, investigators did not thoroughly investigate the crime scene for physical evidence either. 
and there was no physical evidence to connect Michael to Rita's murder. Despite it being a very violent and a bloody crime, Michael had no DNA on him whatsoever. There was also no murder weapon found anywhere inside the home. However, there were unknown footprints found outside of the home, but they were never photographed or tested. A neighbor had also reported to police that they heard dogs barking in the middle of the night, the night of the murders, but this tip, it was never followed up with. Michael Polite's public defender took no more than half a day to present his entire defense, and ultimately, at 17 years old now, Michael would be convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison. It took the jury just four hours to deliberate. Michael was sent to a Missouri prison that is well known to house some of the country's most dangerous criminals. As a young man at just 17 and 18 years old now, he had a huge target on his back. He was assaulted constantly. He turned to heroin as a way to cope, and he even became a skinhead in order to stay safe, despite the fact that he says he doesn't align with any of their views. His goal was to stay alive long enough to prove his innocence and to get justice for his mother. Five years after being convicted, Michael reached out to the Midwest Innocence Project to plead with them to take his case, and they did. He was given new attorneys that were going to review all of the details in his file, all of the evidence, and help to clear his name. More than 10 years would be spent meticulously putting together information that could possibly free Michael from prison. But then came a turn of events that would expedite everything. In 2021, the state of Missouri passed a bill giving juvenile offenders who were convicted of serious crimes a second chance by offering them a parole hearing where they could plead for their freedom. Michael Polite would receive a parole hearing, despite the fact that he was serving a life sentence. And it worked. He pled for his innocence, and on April 22, 2022, at the age of 38, Michael was released from prison, out on parole. His family, friends, and supporters all showed up in droves to welcome him back when he walked out of those doors. Michael began the process of moving forward with his life after having spent the majority of it locked away. He moved in with his sister, he got his driver's license, and he began to cover up those prison tattoos, the ones that just felt so vile to him now. It was a fresh start. However, Michael was still considered to be a convicted killer. His record shows that he murdered his mother. He's just out on parole. Now he's working with a team of attorneys to have his conviction completely overturned. And here's why. Beyond the investigator's opinion that Michael wasn't acting as emotional as a true victim would, there was practically no actual evidence to connect him to Rita's murder. The shoes he had been wearing, the ones that had tested positive for accelerant, there was a huge issue with the science behind this kind of testing. The components that make up many of the sneakers that are on the market today contain elements that can often mimic the components of gasoline, meaning this was a highly problematic test and there was likely never any gasoline on his shoes at all. 
the dog would have picked up on the components of the sneaker, the elements that make up its composition. So what about that statement that Josh had made? There were issues in the way that the officers interrogated Josh, who was a teenager. They used suggestion and coercion. It was only on the third day that Josh made these comments about Michael not being in bed all night. Josh would later say that anytime he tried to tell the detectives what really happened, they would immediately tell him that he was lying. Now he says that nothing out of the ordinary happened that night. He took the deal because he was afraid he was going to get in trouble. Interestingly enough, the prosecution didn't even call Josh to the stand to give his story to the jury, and one has to wonder why. If Josh's statement was such a smoking gun, wouldn't they want him to testify on the stand at the trial? Michael's new attorneys want alternate suspects looked at, in particular, his father Edward and his uncle Johnny. Edward had motive to kill Rita, and he had been physically violent with her in the past. While he was not physically near the crime scene at the time of the murder, his cousin Johnny, who he's really close to, was spotted by multiple witnesses near the home that morning. And here's where it gets even more suspicious. While the crime scene was being processed, the entire house was searched for anything that could have been used as a weapon. There were multiple items found and tested, but none that were determined to be the murder weapon. After nothing was found and the crime scene was released back to the family, something bizarre happened. Johnny, Edward's brother and Michael's uncle, went to the police station with an item of interest that he thought could be the murder weapon. It was an iron tire, and it was allegedly found in the back of Michael's closet after the fact. How mysterious that investigators searched the whole house and found nothing. But then just days after the scene was released and opened to the public and family and whoever else, an iron tire was discovered on top of a bloody piece of paper. When it was tested, it was determined to not be the weapon, but what the hell? With regards to all of this, the allegations, the accusations, the suggestions, Michael's father, Edward, would release this statement. He said, quote, I'm grateful and happy Mike is being released. Now about me, I did a dozen or so interviews with the law. I did a lie detector test, a blood test, a DNA test, and fingerprints. I cooperated 100% with the law. I don't know what else I could have done. My place of work was checked out. My coworkers were interviewed. I have a couple dozen witnesses that placed me 85 miles away from my ex. That's all I have to say. Michael and his team are still hoping to have his conviction overturned. There are at least five jurors from his murder trial that are now questioning whether it was actually a fair trial or not. Several say that they felt pressured into a guilty verdict, and unfortunately, they did not get all of the information that they needed in order to make a sound decision. A motion to vacate the charges against Michael Polite was recently denied by the Missouri Supreme Court, but he still could get a new trial. Local law enforcement have stated that they have reopened an investigation into Rita's murder, 
However, they have not commented on any suspects that they are looking at so far. Either way, a new investigation into what really happened to Rita is encouraging. If Michael did in fact kill his mother when he was 14 years old, there may be new evidence and testing that could be done to prove that once and for all. However, if he's innocent, then there is a killer or killers walking free. Someone who viciously murdered a mother of three in her own bedroom and then set her on fire. So what do you think? Do you think that there was already enough evidence to charge and convict Michael Polite and that he should still be in prison? Or do you think that maybe Michael was just an easy scapegoat in this case and police got it all wrong? Is there enough cause for a new investigation? Let me know your thoughts. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper, or I post things on TikTok, Serial Napper Nick, and that's all one word. If you're watching on YouTube, I would love if you can give me a thumbs up and subscribe, and if you're not watching on YouTube, if you want to watch the video versions of all of my podcast episodes, check them out over there, Nikki Young, Serial Napper. Until next time, sweet dreams, stay kind, especially in the comments. Bye.